So if you could turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 11. We're going to cover verses 1 to 24. For those of you that are uh, new with us here, or uh, even some of that have come along later on, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew now, and we've probably are at about our 20, I think, 27th study. And when we started out this book uh, in chapter 1, I shared that the Gospels, each one of the Gospel writers, put a different emphasis upon their particular uh, book that they wrote. In Matthew's Gospel, he made the emphasis upon Jesus Christ being the King of the Jews, that he was the Messiah of Israel, the one to come. And we, he, he made that clear by giving this genealogy and talked about the birth of the king in chapter 1. In chapter 2, it, it, this was the early days of Jesus. Not much is said about his early days. As a matter of fact, from chapter 2 to chapter 3, in, in this account, 30 years transpires from chapter 2 to chapter 3. When you get into chapter 3, Jesus is now 30 years of age, and he comes out to the Jordan River where John the Baptist anoints him as the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one that they were looking for. In chapters 5 through 7, this was some of the most important teaching of Jesus. He gave the sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave these kingdom rules to his disciples and to the multitude that had gathered around him on that day. In chapters 9 and 10, or excuse me, 8 and 9, we covered, and these are the two chapters that John, or that that Matthew chose to bring out the miracles and the healings of Jesus to point to the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he was the Messiah. And here's the miracles and here's the healings to prove it. In chapter 10, two weeks ago, we saw the king sending out the twelve. He sent them out on a specific mission to go into the the cities and the towns there in the region of Galilee to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And Jesus was going to follow after the disciples and go into those cities and proclaim that their king was here. When we come to chapter 11 this morning, we're going to see another transition in this book. This is now going to be... And I titled this morning's message, The Opposition of the King. We know that Jesus in his early years in Galilee there, actually for the last couple of years, it was the years of Jesus' popularity. He didn't really have much opposition. As a matter of fact, the people were welcoming him and the crowds and the multitudes were coming around him to hear his teaching and that Jesus might touch them and heal them. We, after Jesus finished, though, his teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we read in chapter 7, verse 28, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, that he came down from the mountain, and we're told that a great multitude followed after him. And so Jesus had this following from city to city of people that were following him, wanting to be touched. We know that his home base was there in Capernaum, right there on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus ministered out of for really two years of his earthly ministry. In chapter 10, when Jesus gave his instructions to his disciples and he sent them out now as apostles, those who were sent out into the world, he sent them out preaching this message of the kingdom. Now, this wasn't the message and the gospel message that we possess as Christians because we see the completed work of Jesus Christ. They were going out with a message that the Messiah is here. The Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, has come. And the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is here now with us. And it was really a declaration that the Messiah had come. But in chapter 11 this morning, Matthew leads us now to a new time in Jesus' ministry. It's referred to as the time of his opposition. 
Let's read in our Bible, starting in verse 1. We read, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding or instructing his 12 disciples, that Jesus departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Their cities meaning the disciple cities. They were all Galileans. They were all from this area. And that was the first area of ministry primarily that Jesus focused on, this region of Galilee that encompassed a fairly large area in the northern part of Israel there. And this was a time where the disciples went out ahead of Jesus into these towns and proclaimed that the king was here. And then Jesus would make his way from town into each city. And he would also go into the synagogues and follow that up and begin to preach to the people. We read in verse 2 that when John, and we're talking about John the Baptist here, when John the Baptist had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Do you see that question mark? This is something that's a little bit different about John the Baptist. We we knew of a different John, but now here he is in prison, and John is beginning to have some struggles. It appears that while John was in prison, that he did have visitation rights. That wasn't always the case, but it, it appears that he did because we're told that John's disciples, remember he had his own disciples, they would come to him and they would tell John about the wonderful works that Jesus Christ, that the Christ was doing. And he kept, they kept coming to John and letting him know and filling him in. Remember that John is here in prison now for up to possibly a year's time that he's been in this prison. The Messiah was also known as the coming one. And John declared in Matthew uh, 3.11, he said this, He who is coming, speaking about the coming one, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was John the Baptist's message as he was preaching there out in the wilderness. In chapter 21, verse 9, we read when Jesus rode into, and we'll get to this, but when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, just seven days before he's going to be crucified, the people began crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so they were acknowledging he's the coming one. He's the one we've been looking for, the king of Israel. This thinking about the coming one to a Jew was probably understood from Psalm 118 verse 26. It reads, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so every Jew, when they were thinking of the coming Messiah, the king of Israel that was to come, the coming one, they would have been thinking probably of Psalm 118, verse 26. When we get to chapter 14 of Matthew, John is going to be, we're told, beheaded. He's now been in prison for a year. His time is coming to an end. He's going to be uh, beheaded there in this prison. Uh, what you know? You think about that. You think about John, and you think about his life and his ministry. And it's like when God is done, God is done. You know, it's time to take you home, John. I'm done. And you know what? The Lord doesn't get too upset about that when we come home to be with Him. The Apostle John, though, he records in chapter three some of the words that John preached when he was in the wilderness. These are some of the words that he said. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John said that about himself. He also said, he who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. He also said, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He also said, he who believes in the son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe The son will not see life, 
but the wrath of God abides on him. John understood that the Messiah had come. John understood that the the one that they had been waiting for was now here in their presence. He preached it. He understood. He saw that anointing come upon the Lord that day as he even baptized uh, Jesus in the Jordan there. After John's mission of revealing the coming Messiah, after it was accomplished, John was shortly arrested. He was arrested by Herod Antipas and he was put into prison because John began to rebuke Herod for taking his brother Philip's wife Herodias to himself. And he began to rebuke him for it and so he threw him off into prison for it. Because he was standing for righteousness, he was put into prison. And there John would remain until a year later until he was beheaded. After John's arrest, we know that Jesus, we're told, made his way north. He went up into this region of Galilee where he would do the majority of his ministry. And it was during this time in prison, possibly now a year that had transpired, that John begins to question things concerning the Messiah. I guess we could say that he was beginning to doubt He was losing a little bit of faith. Has that ever happened with you? When you think about your own walk with Christ. When you think about the trials and the tribulations that come your way. And you begin to doubt at times. You begin to lose a little bit of faith. John here now in prison was beginning to wane a little bit. Historians tell us that the prison that John was put into was the castle of Macheris, which is located there on the east side of the Dead Sea. It's out in a desert area on a mound, and, and even part of the remains are there. I showed you a picture, a picture of it a while back. But we need to keep in mind that the prison that John was placed into was not like one of the prisons that we have here in the United States. When you think about a prison back then, this was like a deep, dark hole that they were typically thrown down into. There was no fresh air. It was hot. It was very uncomfortable where John was. Now, remember, John was used to being out in the wilderness like a hermit and living out in the wilderness before he came onto the scene to declare the Messiah. But here he is now thrown into this dark dungeon. And it's beginning to take its toll upon John's faith. I think this was a dreary time for John. Uh, We have found ourselves probably in places like that in our walks with Christ, where things are going real well for a while, and then we find ourselves coming to those times where we're tested in our faith. And they become very dark times for us as Christians, very dreary times. This... The other part of John that probably was weighing upon him is that you think about his life before prison. He's out there for probably 18 months proclaiming things of Christ and talking about preaching the kingdom as at hand. He was involved in ministry day in and day in out. And all of a sudden his ministry comes to a complete halt. He's thrown off into prison. And he's there now for going up to a year's time now. And I'm sure that was weighing on his mind. You see, John probably understood that the Messiah, just like the disciples later on, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to deliver us from oppression. When the Messiah comes, he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. He's going to reign as king in our presence. And And I'm sure that John must have been thinking, why is it taking so long? I've been in here now for a year. What is the delay? Where is the Messiah that I thought had come? John's faith was being tested. He was in a a very unpleasant place now in his walk. Some of our women that are in our ladies' study in 1 Peter 3.12, they learned this already. Peter wrote this about suffering. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial 
which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, Peter brings out in his letter that, you know what? Suffering as a Christian and suffering for the things of Christ always leads to joy. There's always joy that comes out of suffering in life. When you see how God uses you, it creates suffering. John was experiencing suffering. He needed some encouragement. He needed to be lifted up right now. It's often during these times of hardships in our lives, the delays. Do you like delays in life? When all of a sudden it just seems like you're praying about something and it gets delayed. It it seems like there's no answer. You've been praying about this for a long time. And it just seems like it's going nowhere. Nothing's changing. It's during these times of hardship, in these times of delay, that often as Christians we become discouraged. We get discouraged. We get our eyes off of the Lord. We get our focus off. And sometimes we even go to the extent where we begin to question God's care for us, His faithfulness to us. We even can begin to to doubt His Word and the promises that we find in His Word. John may have been thinking as he sat there in this dungeon, if Jesus is truly the Messiah then why am I still in this place? Why am I still here? Why has he not set himself up as king and delivered me from this place? But look how Jesus answers John's disciples. Look in your Bibles at verse 4. Jesus answered and he said to John's disciples, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's what Jesus told John's disciples to go tell him. Sounds like similar words that Jesus gave to doubting Thomas. As Thomas says, you know what, I I can't believe unless I can see the nail prints, unless I can see where they pierced his side with the sword, I won't believe. And Jesus says, blessed are those that don't see yet believe. Jesus tells John's disciples, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John as he sat there in prison, may have been thinking of Isaiah 61, 6. Excuse me, 61, verse 1. And it reads this, that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who were bound. You see, John knew the Scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He knew what the Scriptures said, what the prophets foretold of the Messiah. He was going to come. He was going to set the captives free. As I read this about John, I don't think that John had lost his faith completely, but I think it was in this testing time uh, of John here that he needed some encouragement. He needed to be lifted up in this time of testing. Jesus says to John's disciples, go tell John that the blind see. And maybe John, as he heard those words from his disciples, might have been thinking of what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 35, verse 5, where it says that the eyes of the blind shall be opened when the Messiah comes. We read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 30, that Jesus healed the two blind men there on the road. Jesus tells his disciples, go tell John that the lame walk. And he might have thought of Isaiah 35, 6, where it says that the lame shall leap like a deer. And we read in Matthew 9, 6, where Jesus told the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. 
He healed that paralytic. It was a fulfillment of prophecy that was being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. These are the words that Jesus is wanting to encourage John with. He tells his disciples, go tell John the lepers are cleansed. And in Isaiah 53, 4, he, Jesus was doing that. And, and he was, it was prophesied that he would do that. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said to the leper, be cleansed. He says, go tell John that the deaf hear. Isaiah 35, verse 5, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And we read in Mark's gospel in chapter 7, verse 35, that Jesus one day put his fingers in the ears of a deaf man. And then it says that he spat and he touched his tongue. And then looking up into heaven, he sighed and he said to him, Apathra, that is, be opened. And immediately this man's ears were opened and his impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. These were all signs that the Messiah had come, that he was here in our midst. He's telling his disciples, go tell John these things. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah is here. One of the things that Jesus did that's not recorded in any, by any of the prophets, he tells that the dead will be raised up. But we know in Matthew 9, 24, he said, Make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when the crowd was put outside, he went and he took that young girl by the hand and he lifted her up and raised her from the dead. You know, as I read the miracles of Jesus, I think about what an incredible Savior we have. What an incredible God that we have that cares intimately about you and I. The the things in your life. There are times that we go through testing where God doesn't always heal us. We're not always miraculously healed. And sometimes God says, I'm just going to pour out my grace and enable you to endure. But there are times that God heals physically. He heals spiritually. He heals physically because he's a, a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God that is full of grace and full of forgiveness. That's the God we serve. He's so loving towards you and I. He's so patient in our lives. That's what we see in the very nature of our Lord as he went about his ministry. But let me ask you something this morning. What's your testimony of Jesus Christ? What would you say to this world? What would you say to your neighbor, to somebody at work, about Jesus Christ, what he's done in your life? How he's changed you? Maybe how he's healed you physically at some point in your life. What would you say to somebody that would declare to them that Jesus Christ is more than just a man? He's God in flesh. He changed my life. He healed me. He made me new. He set me free. That's the kind of testimony that we can have and should have of our Lord. But there's something that's also interesting to note in this account is that even though John was waning in his faith a little bit, Jesus still defends John's greatness before the people. He still defends him. This was... Jesus' testimony of John to a crowd of people that probably heard that question from the disciples when they came up to Jesus. Is he the one that we're looking for? Is he the coming one or should we be looking for another? John wants to know Jesus. The crowd probably heard that question. And Jesus goes on defense of John. That tells us something about our Lord. Even when we come up short, even when we fail, he still goes in your defense. You see, there's always, as I've been sharing, a bigger picture in the mind of our Lord. He's always accomplishing more than we always realize. You see, John's in prison and he wants to encourage John. But he also wants to encourage John's disciples that came to him with that question. But he also wants to encourage and speak the truth to these 
multitude of this crowd of people that was gathered around that heard this question, are you the coming one? Or should we be looking for another? And he wanted to minister truth to them also. We're told, we're not told how John responded when the disciples went back to John in prison. It was a little bit of a truck. It was probably a two-day journey. And we're not told in the text how John responded with what they came back with. But we read in verse 7, as they, John's disciples, were departing from Jesus. Notice how quick this took place. As they departed away from Jesus, then Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And so now Jesus is causing this multitude, this crowd that was gathered around him, to start thinking about who John was. Remember back in Matthew 3, verse 1, we read, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven it was at hand. That was John's message. And so Jesus, in a sense, is saying to this crowd, When you went out looking to hear this prophet, you see, there had not been a prophet for Israel in over 400 years. When they heard that there was a prophet out in the wilderness of Judea preaching out there, the people were compelled to go out and to hear. They wanted to hear a prophet. And Jesus says, when you went out into the wilderness, did you go out there thinking that he was just going to be some ordinary and fickle man who was out preaching and now he's this fickle doubter sitting there in prison? What did you go looking for when you went out into the wilderness? And many of these people probably did. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, But what did you go out to see? He's asking a question again to this multitude of people. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Or elegant clothing is another translation? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. He's really saying to these people, when you went out into the wilderness looking for this prophet... Were you looking for a man of high status who is parading around in these fine garments? Or did you see a man that was wearing camel skins and with a leather belt around his waist? He was an ordinary man that was out there preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. What did you go out there looking for? That's what Jesus was causing them to think about. He says in verse 9, But what did you go out to see? He says it again. A prophet? And Jesus says, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. Do you see how he's lifting up John? Even John, while he's sitting there waning in faith, sitting there in prison, he's lifting up the greatness of John. He says that he was a prophet. Yes, and he's even more than a prophet. He was lifting him up in the ears of the people. He says, many of you, even out of your curiosity... You went out into the wilderness to see a prophet. They wanted to, to, they wanted to hear this prophet. But he says, but your very scriptures foretold you that in advance that John was going to be the one that was going to come and prepare the way for the coming one. It was foretold in your scriptures. When you went out to hear that prophet, this was a fulfillment of prophecy. That's why John was not just a prophet, but he was actually the fulfillment of prophecy. John wasn't like any other prophet. You see, a prophet, when he spoke, he was foretelling future events. When John came on the scene, he was there to proclaim. He was himself the fulfillment of prophecy, and he was there to proclaim the Messiah is here. The Messiah has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus goes on to say to this crowd of people in verse 10, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. 
Jesus is quoting here from Malachi 3.1, speaking about this messenger coming ahead of him that was going to prepare the way. Jesus continues in verse 11 with the word assuredly. And whenever you see that word assuredly in Scripture or truly in Scripture, this is a word that says, sit up and take notice. I'm about to tell you something that is very important for you to hear. I say to you in verse 11 that among those born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's pretty incredible words, isn't it? There's not been one person on the face of the earth that has been born that is greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. What is Jesus saying here? He's going on defense of John's questionable faith. He's questioning the Messiah. But he's telling them that there's been no one greater because there is no one that has ever done what John is doing. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, the prophesied one by Malachi that was going to come and pave the way for the Messiah to come. And that in itself made him great. But John also didn't have the full revelation, did he? He didn't see the end of the story. He didn't see the Messiah yet go to the cross before his death. He didn't see what you see this morning, what you know, that the very least in the kingdom of heaven is going to be the greatest because we have the full revelation. You're living in the church age. You've been able to see and understand and know and see the full story of Jesus going to the cross and being buried and raised again and ascend up into heaven. And he said, we have that full revelation. And so John is not talking about integrity that John is the greatest or things about him. He's saying that, it, that his, his limited knowledge, uh, he was still great even in his limited knowledge, but there will be those in the kingdom of heaven in the future that will even be greater than John in their understanding because they'll have that full revelation of Jesus Christ in the work of Christ. He goes on in verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now this is a scripture that has tripped up a lot of people. There's a lot of interpretations of what Jesus is actually saying by this. I've looked at a number of them. I've come to my own conclusion. This is what I see. He goes on to say, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is, uh, that he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I believe that what Jesus is saying here is that from the time or the days of John the Baptist, from that beginning of that time, that the church was now going to suffer violence against it. John experienced it when he was arrested and thrown off into prison. Persecution now began to come against the church. And the violent take it by force. In other words, there are those that understand this and they with great diligence are making their way towards heaven. We are doing the same. One commentator wrote and put it this way, the kingdom has come with holy power and magnificent energy that has been pushing back the frontiers of darkness. This is especially manifest in Jesus' miracles and ties in with Jesus' response to the Baptist. The kingdom, the kingdom is making great strides. Now is the time for courageous souls and forceful people to take hold of it. You know, we're living in desperate days, church. Look what's going on around you. Look what's going on in our world right now. The persecution that is coming up against the church, against believers. And it's only going to increase. And as we see that increasing and as the pressure gets put more and more upon the church and the body of Christ, we should be taking it up and running forward even a stronger way, knowing that we have something ahead of us.
The kingdom of God, heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's time, I believe, for the church to stand. Where many of the people within the church today, I believe, are beginning to fail themselves. They're looking at the things going on around them in the world and it's beginning to test their faith to the very core. Are we going to be ones that are going to stand and keep our eyes fixed upon eternity, keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord and His promises, or are we going to be ones that are going to begin to shrink back, to begin to doubt, to question our Lord and His ability to save us? Verse 13 says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Whenever you see the law and the prophets, it's speaking about the Old Testament, or the whole of the Old Testament. For all the prophets in the Old Testament and all of the law of the Old Testament, they prophesied until John. In a sense, John was the spokesperson for all of the prophets. He was the last one that was going to come on the scene and proclaim to the nation of Israel that the Messiah had come. He was the fulfillment of that. Jesus says in verse 14, and if you are willing to receive it, if you're you're willing to receive it, that he, speaking about John, is Elijah who is to come, Jesus was not saying that John was a resurrected Elijah, though there were those Jews in that day that believed that that's what was going to happen, that God was going to resurrect the prophet Elijah and send him off back into the world. But I believe that what Jesus is saying is that John came in the spirit of Elijah. We read that in Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 17, concerning John's ministry. It says that he will also go before Jesus in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's quoting from Malachi 4, 6. Jesus finished this thought to this crowd that was around him by saying, and if you are willing to receive it, in other words, he's answering their question about the coming Elijah. If you're willing to receive it, Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then let him hear. In other words, I'm telling you that John came on the scene in the spirit of Elijah. That's who's locked up in prison. That's who came asking that question. John is great in my eyes. Jesus goes on in verse 16 now to rebuke, and even some of those that were standing there that day, to rebuke those who would refuse to believe in the ministry of John and also in the ministry of Jesus. Look what he says in verse 16. But to, but to what shall I liken this generation? He's speaking to them. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not, did not lamentations. One group that we see in verse 16 here is children playing a flute like they were at a wedding feast. The other group is a group that is at a funeral. And Jesus is using this picture to to put a picture in the mind. Some, Jesus says, will not dance and others will not lament. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying that they never want to cooperate. They never want to, uh, all they do is complain. They, They want to mold me into their shape. They want to make John who they want him to be. They want me to make Jesus who they want him to be. People do that in the church today. They want to make Jesus who they want Jesus to be. And if you're not like who I want you to be, then I'm not going to follow you. And and in the church, and there's people that do that today. There's some that didn't like John the Baptist's ministry. There's others that didn't like Jesus' ministry either. 
But they were still followers. They were still out there around Jesus. And here he is rebuking them for that. Verse 18 says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon. You see what's going on in the hearts of these people? This generation that he's rebuking? John came eating, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Because John was so different. Because he didn't hang with the crowd. Because he didn't go along with what everybody else was doing. And he was different from them. They didn't like him. You see, if you make a stand for Jesus Christ, if you're different, if you make a stand for righteousness and you're different, there'll be people that won't like what you stand for. They didn't like what John stood for. They didn't like what Jesus stood for. He's so different from us. I don't believe that he could be a prophet. As a matter of fact, I attribute what he's doing to a demon. Because he's not not who we want him to be. He goes on in verse 19 that the Son of Man came eating. Now he's speaking of his ministry. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. They did the same thing with Jesus looking at him he's just like everybody else. He's the Messiah. He was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. He's just a common person. Jesus, everybody had that name. There was nothing about his appearance that stood out as the one, that, the coming one that we're to be looking for. And not only that, look at him. He's a glutton. He's a glutton for food and he loves to drink. He sits down there with sinners and drinks with sinners. And look, he's even a friend of the tax collectors. This is our Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. They wanted to make Jesus in their mind who they wanted him to be. But he wasn't. He didn't comply. And neither did John. Jesus finished by saying to them, but wisdom is justified by her children. Jesus is saying that wise man, men, is approved to be, or is proved to be wise by their wise actions. Her children is of the wise actions. Jesus had especially in mind the wisdom to accept both Jesus and John. That's wisdom. If you want to know what wisdom is, then accept the testimony of John. Accept the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the miracles and everything that proved the fact of who he was. That's wisdom. Then Jesus, and we'll finish with this, he began to rebuke the cities. This is all happening in one conversation with this crowd. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, which was a, a city that was north on the north uh, part of, uh, north of uh, Capernaum there on the Sea of Galilee. He says, Woe to you, Bethsaida, which is a northeast city on the Sea of Galilee. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon was known to the Jews as being heathen cities. These were corrupted cities that worshiped Baal in comparison to Israel and their cities. (coughs) excuse me, all the Jews, they knew of the wickedness of Tyre and Sidon. And here's Jesus now rebuking their own cities here, Capernaum, Cherizum, Bethesda. He's rebuking their cities and saying, you know what, if you would have listened, he said, even those in Tyre and Sidon would have repented. 
If I would have come with that message to them, they would have repented. And he says in you, Capernaum, verse 23, this was Capernaum, we remember, was that ministry place for Jesus where all these healings and teachings and miracles went on. He says, in you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. That's the Greek word for hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, look what he's comparing their cities to. If it had been done in Sodom, it would have have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That would have cut right to their very core. He's saying, and these are the cities, these are cities that housed a lot of followers of Jesus. He's comparing them to Tyre and Sidon, heathen cities. Sodom and Gomorrah, this place that was just known for sin. Sodom would have remained to this very day. If this message that you're hearing right now would have come to them, it appears from these words of judgment from our Lord that there is going to be a degrees of judgment in heaven. There's going to be degrees of punishment in heaven for those who reject. You see, when much is given, much is required. If you hear the gospel and if people hear the gospel, they're accountable with that. Jesus is saying they haven't heard, but if they would have heard, they would have repented. That city would have been here today and remained. There would have been those in that city would have turned. Jesus said in the parable of the faithful servant and the evil servant in Luke chapter 12, verse 48... He says, but he who did, not, who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. You see, we have much here in America, don't we? Look what we have. Look at the churches and the, the radio and the, the, the Bible. Look at, we have, most of us have more than one Bible. Look what we have. And we're held at a higher standard for that. Where much is given, much will be required of you, of me. We serve a Lord that is very gracious towards us. He knows when we come up short on faith, when, we, when our faith is waning. And, and he still runs to our defense. You're a child of God. I know you're struggling right now, but you're a child of God. I want to encourage you in your faith, in your walk. I, I don't want you to lose faith. You know, Jesus sent those disciples of John back to him because he wanted to encourage him. But John's days were coming to an end. He was going to be beheaded there. His days were coming to an end. The Lord could have delivered him if he wanted. Could have got him out of prison. God says, no, my grace is sufficient. You're, you're there. Your, your days are coming. But I'm going to encourage you. And, I, and I, I have to believe that when those words came back to John, I think John was strengthened there. Okay, all right, I needed that. And he heard those words from the disciples that just refreshed him and strengthened him, even for the day that was coming, that he was going to give his life up for righteousness. Last Sunday, I shared about our responsibility of going out and taking the gospel to our, our city here and to our people we work with and wherever the Lord will lead us, that one-on-one evangelism. I had somebody in the church here that sent me a, a text telling me that she had an opportunity 
to be able to lead somebody to Christ after church last Sunday. It came out of the blue. It came out of nowhere. It came unexpected. But she seized the opportunity, and she had an opportunity to share the gospel and to pray with this girl to, to receive the Lord. I share that with you so that it'll encourage you. As you go this week and you go about your week, pray before you get out of bed tomorrow morning. God, would you use me today? I'm praying for so-and-so at work. Lord, touch them, open their heart. If you give me an opportunity to open my mouth for that person, Lord, I'm going I'm to step forward. I'm going to trust you're going to give me the words to speak. And see that God won't do something in you this week. That he won't just blow your mind and make you go, wow, Lord, I didn't even see that coming, but I am so blessed. I'm so thrilled. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each and every one that's here this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we all, Lord, are encouraged this morning to to step forward and to run harder in this race towards the finish line. Lord, that we would redeem the days that we're living in, Lord, for they truly are evil. Lord, that you would use us that you would pour out your spirit upon us afresh this morning. Fill us, Lord, with your power. Give us words to speak. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll come back quickly. We're looking forward to that day that we stand in your presence. Remind us of that every single day, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.